Welcome to the Spooky Tales podcast presented by me, John. And me, Louise. We have been fascinated by spooky goings-on since we can remember and wanted to share with you the stories that pique our interest. Today's story is of hauntings, possession, poltergeist psychological manipulation and an unexpected twist. It's the spooky tale of the death of Christopher Case. Welcome to the Spooky Tales podcast. Shout outs to all the lovely people that have left us reviews recently. We really appreciate it. So what is today's spooky tale? This spooky tale is of the strange circumstances surrounding the death of Christopher Case. Ooh, who's Christopher Case? Christopher Case was a 35-year-old executive programmer for Muzak. What? As in Lyft Music? Yes, that's right. The Muzak Company did all kinds of background music for retail and other public establishments like hotels and lifts, shopping malls, etc. It was originally created in the 1920s as music to be delivered down electrical wires instead of by the more expensive radio. People will build on their electric bill for the music as well as their lecky. Imagine that. Yes. Christopher Case grew up in Richmond, Virginia, where he was a radio DJ. His passion for music blossomed at this time. He then had the opportunity to move to Seattle, Washington, where he got a job working for the Muzak Holdings Company. It was said by his friends that he was an intelligent and sophisticated man. He loved all music, but he had a fervour for ancient music. Sorry, what do you mean, ancient music? Are we talking here Jimi Hendrix and the Rolling Stones or (laughs) medieval monks playing lutes and lyres? Yes, to the lutes and lyres, but older than medieval monks, more very early Greek, Roman, Mesopotamian music. Ah, I see. He made friends easily and was well-liked. He had friends in Seattle but also kept in touch with his friends in Richmond. However, he never married. He was single for a long time due to the fact that he travelled a lot because of his job. When back in Seattle, he lived alone. He was very conscientious about his health and fitness. Some described him as a fitness zealot. One of the things that is constant about descriptions of him is that he was a level-headed kind of person which made what happened in April 1991 all the more extraordinary. Ooh, what happened then? On the 11th of April 1991, Christopher travelled to San Francisco, where he had a meeting with other music executives. One of his business friends introduced him to a woman who was importing rare, ancient music from Egypt. He was intrigued immediately and wanted to know more. However, after their first meeting, Christopher called his friend Sammy Sado. I think that must be pronounced Sado, not Sado. Anyway, he called Sammy... And this wasn't unusual, they spoke a lot, and he told her of this woman, and that she had had a strange intensity about her, and seemed to be interested in him, romantically. And Christopher wasn't reciprocating the affections? No, she wasn't his type, and she was 20 years his senior. He just wasn't into her. However, his interest in the ancient Egyptian music led him to meet with her a second time, and this time... They went out for dinner. Could that have given her the wrong impression? Yes, I think you're right. Uh, That would come across as that he was interested, wouldn't it? Anyway, she, the dark-haired temptress, comes on really strong that evening in the restaurant, saying she wanted him, 
and that he should come home with her that night. And he, he, he didn't? He rejected her? Yes. And how did she react? Well, I think you could say not well. She leant over to him and whispered to him that he would be sorry. Oh dear. That she was a witch, that she was going to put a curse on him, and that he would be dead within a week. What? Gosh, she didn't take it well, did she? And, and so did that freak Christopher out? Well, if it did, he brushed it off quickly, and when calling Sammy that night, he sounded quite matter-of-fact about it. He was not superstitious, religious, and did not believe in the paranormal. He returned home to Seattle the next day. However, Christopher's nightmare was just beginning. The next time he called Sammy, on April the 14th, he was no longer nonchalant about the curse laid upon him by the woman who said she was a witch. His voice was agitated. He said that he had not been able to sleep and that he had been kept awake by whispering voices and shadows moving around his apartment. He could not find from where the voices were coming. He said he felt like he was being watched. Two days later, he called Sammy again in quite some distress. He had been attacked in the night by unseen forces. They had tried to strangle him. The force had lifted him from his bed, throwing him back down before releasing him. The next morning, he saw that he had cuts on his hands and his sheets were marked with his bloodstains. So he had actual physical wounds? Yes, and this was all getting too much for him. And so he decided to do something about it. You said he wasn't religious. Did he call a priest? That's the usual thing, isn't it? Well, I suppose he did the next best thing. He, uh, he went to a Christian bookshop called Evangel Incorporated. What, like Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated? Yes, that's what I thought as well. So I tried to find them on the internet to see if they were still in Seattle and still doing business. Well, if they are, they don't have a web presence. However, there are one or two Evangel bookshops that do. Not incorporated. Not incorporated. There was one based in Medford, Oregon, which isn't that far away from, uh, from Seattle. And they feature the sort of books you might expect to find in a Christian bookshop. When Women Pray, Discovering God's Presence and Purpose uh, in Your Tomorrow, Quiet Times with God. However, I stumbled across another Evangel bookshop, this one in Nigeria, which had much more interesting titles in their featured book section on the front page of their website. A Divine Revelation of Hell, Hear the eyewitness testimony of the true existence of hell. Third degree burn. How you can burn hotter than God. Fifty things you need to know about Better heaven. Better for God. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's me reading that in. Yes. yes. I don't think burn. <laughs> yes. How you can burn hotter for God. Um, Fifty things you need to know about heaven. Now, I find that these are much more interesting. Particularly the first one. What was it? A divine revelation of hell. What hell That's right. Hear the eye, like? Yes, hear the eyewitness testimony. Yes. Uh, of the true existence of hell. Yes, yeah. indeed. Anyway, I digress. Christopher Case had decided that he needed spiritual guidance and some tools to help ward off the curse. So was Evangel Incorporated able to help him? To, to some degree, anyway. Rodney Haguchi, the manager of Evangel Incorporated, saw him on two occasions. On the first visit, Mr. Higuchi said that Christopher was obviously concerned, but in control, whereas on his second visit, he was very agitated. He looked exhausted and worn out. He noted that it was not only mentally disturbing for him, but physically as well. Christopher grabbed as many crucifixes as he could get his hands on, 
asking if they'd been blessed by holy water. And when Mr. Higuchi asked how he intended to use them, Christopher told the man of his situation, saying that he had been attacked by paranormal entities due to a curse placed upon him by a witch, and that he needed to defend himself. Mr. Higuchi gave some advice on books to help fight against witchcraft. Christopher also went out and bought several large, different coloured candles and a large amount of salt. Really? So he used this in his apartment? Yes, he returned to his apartment and placed salt all along the skirting boards of the entire apartment with large piles in each corner. He Why? Even, well, that's what you do to fight off witchcraft. You put a barrier around of salt. and they Obviously, they don't like salt. Oh, okay. Not pepper, it's salt. It's salt? Yeah. Right. He had even placed the salt along the outside of the apartment from the front to the back. And he'd placed crucifixes and candles at intervals around the apartment and wrote notes of strategies of how to defend himself against dark entities. That night, the terror returned. He became so fearful during the night that he left his apartment and booked himself into a hotel. Because of this, Sammy was unable to contact him and asked the local police to go and check on him. They did so, but found his apartment locked and were unable to ascertain his whereabouts. Sammy was very concerned. This concern deepened when she received a message from him later that day. Why? What did he say? He said that they had almost got him the night before and that whatever he did to try to stop them didn't work anymore. That it was his last day on earth. He sounded eerily calm, resigned to his fate. That was the last time Sammy heard from him. As sometime during the night of the 17th of April, Christopher Case died. How did he die? Rich Garner, a medical investigator with the King County Medical Examining Office, said the cause of death was acute myocarditis. Is that right? Myocarditis? Myocarditis, isn't it? Which is inflammation of the heart muscles, usually caused by a viral infection. It's actually pretty rare. So there are a few very odd things here. One was that he had no symptoms of acute myocarditis, which are often flu-like several weeks before actually dying. It's a bit more complicated than that. A reaction to a drug can lead to it, causing clots, which lead to a heart attack. But this is normally associated with symptoms like shortness of breath, chest pains, none of which which were reported in the case case. And the other odd things? Ah, yes. How he was found. He was found back in his own apartment on the morning of the 18th of April. The police returned for a welfare check at about 20 to 4 that afternoon. Oh, so he'd returned from the hotel then? Yes, and when the police entered his apartment, which was a complete mess, he was kneeling in his dry bathtub with his head against the wall. And on the lip of the bath were the crucifixes and candles which had melted down. Religious music was playing throughout the apartment. However, the police did not view this as suspicious, and so the case case was closed. And they never followed it up to find the woman with whom he'd had had dinner with. So, she was never found, her name going to the grave with Christopher Case. Well, it definitely is odd circumstances, but not suspicious. I mean, he, he died of natural causes, it seems. You say that he took supplements for his fitness and health. Yes, that is true. The death of Christopher Case, possibly by a witch's curse, reminds me of another account I read in the autobiography of Lois Bourne. Oh, yes. Lois Bourne was born the seventh child of a seventh child on April the 10th, 1928. 
she became High Priestess of Bricketwood Witches' Coven in Southern England. She passed in December of 2017. I totally recommend her book, Witch Amongst Us, the autobiography of a witch. It is beautifully written and an enlightening book into the life of a modern witch with many interesting accounts. It also has a foreword by none other than Colin Wilson. Colin? Yes, the prolific writer and philosopher who wrote the book Poltergeist that we talked about in the spooky tale of the Black Monk of Pontefract. Oh yes, of course. He was the paranormal expert among all experts, wasn't he? Absolutely. He wrote over a hundred books on the paranormal and other Fortean topics. Anyway, one such account that Lewis writes about is when she met a lady who she called Alma and she met her on holiday. They became friends and they exchanged addresses, as you do, but she did not expect to hear from Alma again once they came back to England. However, three weeks later, she received a phone call from Alma inviting her to stay for the weekend. Alma's house was a small mansion with a lady who came to cook and clean. And Alma lived there with her brother, Rashid, who was out at the time that Lois arrived. On the first morning of the visit, Alma went into town to do some shopping while Lois took the opportunity to investigate Rashid's library, which was full of occult books. An absolute treasure trove for anyone interested in the subject. Outside was an apple tree with one of the branches heavy with apples hanging low in front of the window. She was reading one of the books by the window when she was disturbed by a shadow crossing the page and she heard a creak from the branch of the apple tree. It was a still September morning, not a breath of wind. Lois felt a shiver as if someone had walked over her grave. Rashid returned home and introduced himself. He gave Lois a feeling of oppressive heaviness. When she opened her inner vision to tune into him, she saw the presence of evil. Rashid's interest in the occult was not benevolent. Later, Rashid was alone with Lois and he knew that she was a witch, a powerful witch. He confessed to her that he was a Satanist and had been since his early 20s and had acquired great wealth by black magic, disposing of any rivals along the way. Rashid complimented Lois on her beautiful but chipped moonstone ring before offering Lois the chance to join him at his lodge that evening, to which she declined. Rashid persisted, but Lewis stood firm. Eventually, Rashid said with menace in his voice, I'm sorry that you won't come, Lewis. Perhaps I can persuade you. A nasty piece of work. Absolutely. That night, as Lois lay in bed reading, she heard a soft, primal, seductive music all around her. It relaxed Lois, and she wanted to sink into it. Then the music faded away and she started to hear chanting outside the window, soft whispering at first, which developed into a crescendo. Sound was both disturbing and soothing. Lois found herself thinking she had been too harsh on Rashid, that she should go to the meeting. Life is about taking opportunities and not wasting them. She would be able to expand her knowledge. Dreamily she thought how knowledge is never wasted and she should be more flexible and explorative. She felt compelled to go downstairs and put on her robe. Something, though, stopped her. A bright light went on in her head, 
and she said aloud to herself, That bastard has been working on you and you didn't see it. Lois didn't have time to think about what had just happened, as a green mist appeared with a small green dot of light at its centre. The mist swayed sinuously from side to side. To prevent the mist materialising into a physical form, Lois built a mental structure of white light around the mist and spoke an invocation for protection and the banishment of evil forces. It took some time, but eventually the mist dissipated and the small green dot being the last to vanish. At breakfast next morning, she was not going to talk about the events of last night so as not to give Rashid any satisfaction. However, he had beaten her to it and had left a note for her which read, Dear Lois, what a pity you wouldn't join us last night. I hope you slept well. Oh, she's a bit smug, isn't he? Absolutely. It carries on. I must admit, you know your stuff. I'm going golfing for the day and you will have left before I return. So, until our next encounter, cheerio, Rashid. P.S. Examine your moonstone. Oh, the, the ring, the one with the chip in it. Yes, that's right. The ring with moonstone in it had not been off Lois's finger all night. It still had the same scratches in it, but it was no longer chipped. It was whole again. Do you know, I'd forgotten this story. I can't remember. Does she keep it? Well, she was really angry at Rashid, and she really, as she really liked the ring, even though it was not valuable. She thought it unwise to keep it in her possession or to wear it again, having been affected by magical means by a Satanist. What had he implanted in it? It could be cursed to cause harm, for example. Lois was aware of such a spell to invoke evil forces into an object and then make a gift of it. So to be safe, Lois decided to bury the ring in the garden and found an old apple tree outside the library, which she thought would be strong enough to absorb the evil. I can't remember. Is that it? Does burying it stop the curse? Well, that's what Lois uh, believed, yes. Yeah. That burying it, they, they would absorb the evil into the roots and so on. Give it back to the earth. That's right. Yeah. Lois and Alma remained in contact, and on one such phone call two years after her stay, Alma gave the news that she was selling the house. She could no longer live in the house since the death of her brother. Rashid, one month previously, had died by suicide. He had hung himself from a branch of the apple tree outside the library. Lois wondered if it was the branch that had creaked and thrown a shadow over her book that still September morning. So there we go, another spooky tale. Do go and read Lois's book. It's absolutely fascinating. There will be a link in the show notes. We hope you enjoyed this spooky tale. We look forward to joining you again next time. If you've enjoyed this spooky tale, please do tell others and leave us a review so that it can help other people find us who might enjoy our podcast. Thank you. Please do tell us your spooky tales either in the YouTube comments or via email which is the spooky tales podcast at gmail.com and come and follow us on instagram at the spooky tales podcast or why not visit us on our facebook page at spooky tales thanks again and until next time bye bye, bye.